Was it good? Was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater, too. Feel your love of Broadway anew on Backstage Babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so honored to welcome my guest, legendary director and 2023 Tony Award winner for Best Choreography, Casey Nicola. Casey's current show, Some Like It Hot, plays on Broadway through December 30th, and the other shows he's directed and or choreographed include The Book of Mormon, Mean Girls, Something Rotten, Aladdin, The Prom, Elf, The Drowsy Chaperone, and Spamalot, as well as productions of Dreamgirls, Minsky's Bye Bye Birdie, Robin and the Seven Hoods, Anyone Can Whistle, and more. As an actor, he appeared on Broadway in Thoroughly Modern Millie, Susicle, Saturday Night Fever, Steel Pier, Crazy For You, and Victor Victoria. And now, without further ado, here's Casey Nicola. Well, so I'd love to start off by asking you, how did you first become interested in theater? Oh, wow. I think just ever since I was a kid, I just loved seeing shows and loved... Uh, I, I was a, a dancing... Uh, Cowboy and the chorus of Annie Get Your Gun when I was 13. And that was my first sort of introduction to it. And uh, I just knew I kind of fell in love with the idea. And also just with people that were sort of of my kind, you know, that was great. I didn't I never felt like I fit in, in in junior high school or high school for that matter. And so theater is sort of where I found uh, my place. Right. And did direction or choreography sort of come with that interest early on or not till later? Not till later. I mean, I really felt like I wanted to just be a performer. Um, and then, you know, I was always bossy. Uh, and when I was a when I was a kid, I always was would gather like I guess I always kind of was a director without knowing it, but I always kind of gathered neighborhood kids, made them put shows on. And um we did we like charged admission and did them in the garage or the backyard or even took them on tour to other people's houses. Um it was just like what I what I always sort of loved to do. I guess I was always kind of interested in it. And were your parents or people around you sort of supportive of your talent? Oh, completely supportive. Uh, they, no one in my family is in theater, but um, but they were really supportive. You know, like my my mom when I was in a, when she knew I was in I was interested in it. Uh, as a gift, she bought me the cassette tape to a chorus line. And it's when I was in high school. I was so much older than you. Um, when I was in high school and she, uh, you know, we had no money growing up at all. So that was a big deal that she did that. But she knew I was interested. She thought that would be cool. I'd never even heard of Chorus Line. And so she had heard it was good. So bought me the cassette. And then she um, took me out of school on, on for to drive up to L.A. and see a Wednesday matinee of Chorus Line. And uh, I was just hooked. I was just totally hooked. Right. And how did you sort of choose where to pursue studying it in terms of college and all that? Um, well, I was lucky because uh, there was a there was a um, there was a group in San Diego called San Diego Junior Theater, 
and it was kids uh, from like eight to 18 that did shows. We did five shows a year. Um, if you auditioned, if you got in them and that kind of stuff. And we took classes every Saturday and, you know, got had made a lot of, you know, a lot of good friends there. And like I said, that's sort of where I felt like my family was when I was in high school. And, you know, that's how I learned, you know, we did classes. I, you know, was the lead in a few shows. Um, you know, it was, it was really great. And it was a great way for all of us to learn. Right, right. And how did the decision come to move to New York? Um, you know, it's funny. I, it was my first year of college and I just knew I wanted to be there. I just didn't, college wasn't for me. And also I was at UCLA cause it's the only school I could afford. And, uh, as a theater major, you couldn't take voice or dance. And I knew I wanted to do musical theater. So it seemed kind of pointless that I was there. So I saved up all my money and went to New York on a, on spring break. And you know, I don't know how I even knew it, but, you know, I went and I picked up a backstage and then I went to Colony Music and got some music and I went and auditioned for a bunch of summer stocks, which barely exist anymore, but a bunch of summer stocks and I had no resume, no picture, no nothing. And I still went and then I got a job at New London Barn Playhouse in New Hampshire. And um, so I did that and just never, never looked back. I just knew I met all my, all my friends that all lived in New York and so I ended up just dropping out of college and moving to New York when I was 18. Wow. Yes. Yeah. What was it like to sort of be exposed to the big city at that young age? And... Oh, my God. It was awesome. Oh. <laughs> it was totally awesome. And it also was kind of crazy. I mean, you know, I moved there with 50 bucks and nowhere to live and uh, just stayed on friends' couches and, you know, got a job in a movie theater and then saw someone get stabbed with a knife. And I had to <laughs> grab the bloody guy and take him into the office. And I was like... I'm, this is crazy. I mean, cause it was really dangerous when I moved to the city, like really dangerous. I always had to have my keys in my knuckles in case I was going to get mugged. Um, it was, yeah, it was something else. Yeah. And what was your process like of sort of finding your niche in terms of the type of roles you'd be going up for? And Well, the process was losing my hair, <laughs> basically. I mean, I was, I, I had a really hard time when I getting hired when I first moved to New York, you know, and um, and I was just kept watching, you know, it was much harder, like to get your equity card then and to, you know, it, it was really tough. And, um, I just kept watching my friends get their cards. And, um, and so once I started losing my hair, I just kept getting work. And that's kind of how it happened really. <laughs> right. Because, because I could be the guy in the chorus that also played the gangster or the waiter or the producer or the whatever, you know? And how did that early um, tour of 42nd Street come about? <laughs> um, well, that was, well, I got my, I got my equity card. No, I, I got my equity card at Beef and Boards Dinner Theater in Indianapolis. <laughs> and, you know, I had to do everything from stage manage to paint the prop barn to do it just to get my card. And then I got it. And then the first thing I got was um, actually, uh, there's a place called Equity Library Theater in New York. And it was like a showcase. So we would do shows. And the agents would come see it. And that was the only reason they did it, because you only got paid by subway tokens. They would give you an envelope of subway tokens and that every week, and that was your pay, just so you could get to and from work. And and um, if you were in the ensemble, at intermission, they did this thing called the pitch, and each person would get like, you know, I forget how much, just like like practically 16 bars of song to sing and like a medley. And then you'd hope you'd get an agent from it. I, I didn't, of course, but I did get 42nd Street right after that I auditioned and, and got hired and it was super fun. 
Oh, yes. That was my first thing. That was my first real equity job. And what did you like or do you like about sort of life on the road and all that? Oh, well, I do love, I mean, it was super exciting for me because it was my first equity job. So I felt super important and it was just really fun, a new group of people. It felt like I hit the big time, even though I didn't. Um, but it was it was fun. I like seeing different cities. I'm someone who loves to travel and loves to explore new things still. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Right. And so when you had it, was crazy for you your first Broadway audition or was... Um, it wasn't my first audition, no, but it was my first, the first show I got. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was, inc it was incredible to get that show because I just, I knew it was right up my alley and it was, that was awesome. And do you like the sort of process of auditioning from the other side of the table? Was there a song you would sing a lot? <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah, I sang the song called, I just want to be a song and dance man. And I sang it over and over <laughs> and over. Um, you know, and the thing crazy for you was a, there's a funny story going into it because um, I actually did kiss of the spider woman first but it wasn't on Broadway yet. And Susan Stroman was choreographing it. So I knew her from that. And it was up at this place called, uh, up at SUNY Purchase and it was a new musicals program. And then the whole program went under, it was kind of a disaster, but I was so happy to have done that show and gotten to work with her. And then um, I was doing a show, I was doing Showboat in North Carolina and Beth Level was in it. And she said, I just got the show crazy for you. You need to go in and be seen for that. Cause it's really, it would be really good for you. And um. And I couldn't make the auditions because I was doing a show. And um, then I wrote Susan Strom and I said, if, if anything opens up and then it turns out they needed one person. And so I went to that audition and I didn't get it. And then I like went to like to, to dance at a bar mitzvah in, in, um, in Chicago, just because I would make 250 bucks for the whole weekend. It was this place where you have to stand frozen. And then the kids try to knock you off your cubes. And then when a, when a, a, a number happens, then you suddenly do. I had the time of my life from Dirty Dancing, and then everyone comes. <laughs> um, it's horrifying. It was totally horrifying. <laughs> and I'm staying in a hotel room with like four people. But the, the story is that I, it was my first answering machine ever. And so, and I wanted to see if it worked from Chicago, all the way from Chicago. I wasn't sure if it would. And um, and it did. And I had a message saying, we, we, change something around so there's one track still left in Crazy For You. We'd like for you to audition for it tomorrow. But I had to do the, you know, I had to do the thing on the cube for the weekend. And so I quit and the guy was like, you're never going to work for us again. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, And I went to the airport to get a one-way ticket back to New York so I could go to audition. Because he was like, don't bother coming and don't worry if you're in Chicago. I said, I have to, I have to come audition. And so I went to the airport and, you know, the woman said, you know, it's it's 400 and I didn't have a ticket or anything. And, and, and then it wasn't nothing. You couldn't do anything online or anything. So I got to the airport and I said, I need one way to New York as soon as I can get it. And she said, that'll be $410. And I was like, holy shit, that was so much money. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, I, okay. I gave her my credit card and I knew it wasn't going to work. And she said, they'd like to talk to you. I was like, fuck. And so I got on the phone and, uh, and I had told her my story and then I tried and then I tried to use another card and I knew that wasn't going to go in either. And she looked at me and then she just acted like she ran it through and didn't run it through. And she said, oh, it works. Great. Oh. And, uh, and she wrote down and she did it by hand instead, instead of sending it through. Um, and so I got to go back to New York because this woman was such an angel. And um, I auditioned for Crazy For You that next, that next morning, found out an hour later I got it. 
and started, and this was on a Friday and got, and went to rehearsals Monday. So my whole life completely changed around and the woman at the airport completely helped. Wow. Isn't that wild? Story. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you sort of learn from Susan Showman? both about being a director. She's just so, she was so good. You know, she is so good. And uh, she and Mike Ockrent worked so beautifully together. And uh, it was just a joy. It was like, it was completely, you know, it was the thing that she excels at the best, just creating those big numbers and building them. And it was, it was really fantastic. And did you read reviews then? And do you now? Um, I do not now. I don't. You know, I I read one review once that was not kind, and I thought, I don't need to do this to myself because I knew that it was good. You know what I mean? And it's just one person's opinion. And so I've never read it again. So once I I started doing Broadway shows, like when I did Spamalot, which was my first as a choreographer, I I decided I'm not reading them, and I didn't read them from then on. And uh, I, I didn't read that one either. I, it was, it was, I was tempted because it was the day after opening and I'd already decided I wasn't going to read. And I went to I went to get a sandwich the next day and I was there was one table free and on the table was a newspaper. Uh-huh. So someone was testing me and I just picked up the paper so I wouldn't be tested. It's like a bag of chips or something. And I would just, I put it right into the trash and I didn't read it. Uh-huh. But the worst part about not reading reviews is I imagine all the terrible things that they've said about me, <laughs> even though I've never read it. I still think something's a pan, even if it's a good review. <laughs> like, oh my God, they hated it. Well, they didn't like it. The review wasn't good. And people are like, what are you talking about? You didn't even read it. <laughs> and uh, much uh, talked about show that you did early on that didn't quite get the longer run was Steel Pier. And uh, why do you think that that sort of was? I don't really know. I mean, we liked, we really liked doing it. And it was, I thought it was really good work. Um, It just was, it just didn't catch on, I guess, you know, you never know. You never know. It was, I thought it was cool. I got to change clothes lots. That's what I remember (laughs) the most. (laughs) And made some good friends in that too, so. And would you ever suggest changes as an actor? No way. No way. I was always clocking things in my head, but no, right. it wasn't my place. <laughs> and do you similarly sort of prefer when actors don't do that when you're? Well, it depends. No, I mean, it just depends what it is. If it's something that pertains to what they're doing, especially like with, with the principles. I mean, what I love is collaborating with the principles and, and you know, building a show around them. Um, I don't think as a chorus person, I would, I definitely didn't do it myself. Um, it, I think it just depends what the question is, and it depends if it's pertaining to them or they're, you know, not staying in their lane and talking, asking about something else. But, but you know what? Everyone's usually pretty good and pretty respectful, and and wants to, you know, do the work and do good work, you know. And I think that they trust me enough. But as far as the principles go, that's a whole different story than ensemble because you know it's their mm-hmm. role, it's their name, and they're out there, and you know, I it's my job to tell the story and keep the story going, but also have them do the best that they can possibly do. And sometimes you can't see that yourself if you're doing it. And so that's why, you know, my eyes are there. And how did um, Saturday Night Fever come about? (laughs) I have no idea how I got (laughs) it. Probably not having hair again. Dance and not having hair because I played Tony Monero's father and I was like 34 years old. 
So um, there you go. That was a hoot. <laughs> and was there a style of dancing that you specialized in? I know you're known for using tap and, and choreography. Yeah. Um, well, I just, I, you know, that's what I grew up with. I grew up with Gene Kelly and, and Fred Astaire and those movies, you know, and they weren't, they weren't readily available on TV and we didn't have, you know, you didn't have VCRs or anything at that point. Um, so I would just go to all the revival houses anytime a, an MGM musical was playing and see it. And then you recently stepped back into being a performer for one night for something oh. like that. <laughs> yes, it ended up being a week. Oh, oh, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, we had five guys out or four guys out. And um, they they sort of were, I was trying to get my associate, Steve Beeb, out to do it. And he said, nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and then someone was like, well, you should do it. I was like, well, I guess I could do it. I don't really want to, but I could and I know it. And we were just so stuck. There was kind of no other solution. And um, so I said, yes, thinking it was going to be one night. And then suddenly it was three and then it was eight shows. So I did a full week. Um, it was really nerve wracking at the beginning. And then it was really fun by the end. And I was so glad to be with the cast. And our cast is so spectacular and so much fun and so game and so kind. They're so kind and they were so good to me and supportive of me. And I know that they're supportive of each other. And it's like, it's like, you know, it's a dream come true, quite honestly, because it doesn't always happen that way. And I think the other cool part about it is that I think everybody realize, realizes that and realize what, what they have and uh, how lucky we all are, you know? Yeah, that is great. And a show that you worked on as an actor that's only now coming to Broadway is Harmony. And Wow, um, you have done your homework, <laughs> young man. <laughs> yes. And what was that like to be part of the sort of out-of-town tryout? And um, it was a it was a little crazy. I, I won't lie. It was a it was a it was a crazy one, but um, it was ultimately satisfying. I ended up going on for a role. I was in the chorus, but I ended up going on for a role for for uh, a few performances. And you know what? I mean, that show was really special when uh, it revolved around six guys. So if you weren't one of the six guys, there it kind of wasn't the most fun. Um, but uh, but it was it it was really a beautiful show. And then the last show you did on Broadway was Thoroughly Modern Millie. And what made you decide to sort of make that your last in terms of? Um, you know, it was it was funny. It was like a really it was a really funny audition because um, because they needed one person to who could sort of be a character and. I couldn't make it to auditions. And then I ended up going to Michael Mayer's apartment with their whole creative team there. And I was singing and the dog was jumping on me. And <laughs> um, and then they basically offered me the job and I said, yes. And uh, I, at that point, I really was focusing on choreographing and really didn't want to go back to a show, but I knew it was going to be a good one. And I was really excited about doing it. So I did that. And then I just sort of focused while I was there on my choreographing too. Great. And what was it like to work with Sutton Foster, who I know you've worked as a director with? And as a oh, I loved working. I loved working with her. I mean, that was the first time I'd met her. Uh, so it was really, it was really cool. And she's just, she's so, she's so incredible. And her voice was so amazing. And I was kind of blown away. And I loved Janine Tesori's music for that show. And Dick Scanlon, you know, all the stuff they put into it was just so great. And what sort of appeals to you about that era or about that style, which you've tackled? 
oh, I just, I, you know, I just, I just love it, you know, and I love when it's, I love when it's something that pays homage to a style, but still feels fresh. And that's what I thought about Gimme Gimme and Forget About the Boy. And, and I turned a corner uh, and, and what do I need with love? You know, it's like those songs are so good. And so uh, they didn't feel stale, even though they were honoring the period, they didn't feel old fashioned in the wrong way. <laughs> and so once you decided to sort of focus on choreographing and directing, was it easy to sort of get hired early on, given that you had this experience as a dancer? Um, well, no, I mean, not really. I kind of made it happen myself. I was I was doing Susical, and um, I really knew at that point I wanted to choreograph. And so I basically got 25 dancer friends together and did a, just did a presentation of three numbers and invited all the directors and and writers and producers that I'd worked with to come see three numbers. And all my friends did it, you know, for me, and which was so sweet. Um, and then I got work. I got uh, work doing a production of, of a new show at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle called uh, Prince of the Popper. And so I mean, it didn't go anywhere after that, I don't think. Um, but it was a good experience for me, you know, and it was fun to be able to do that and get hired as that. And then, then after that, I did a, uh, I did a, a, a show at Radio City with Des Mackinoff. I choreographed it, it was the Sinatra show, and so that was kind of my first thing in New York. Um, yeah. Right. And what part of choreography was sort of the biggest challenge for you early on, versus what sort of came naturally in terms of? big picture versus the moves themselves or um you know I don't know I think I've always just had an instinct for it and especially after being in all those original productions I kind of knew what I liked or didn't like you know um I think it's just an instinctual thing more than anything you have to you have to be able to take it all in the pictures the moves this everything I think the story is the hardest part like that's the first thing I do I think the steps come much more easily after you get the story down and after and the story and the structure of the number, how it's going to build, and also what what the beginning, middle, and end of it are, as opposed to just being about steps. Right, right. And was there sort of specifically helpful advice you got from people like Susan Stroman or people you'd worked with, Rob Marshall? Um, you know what? I never really asked anyone. Quite mm -hmm. honestly, I, I think that the things I learned were from watching, but I don't think I ever really asked people advice or anything. I think I ultimately knew that I was the person that was going to have to answer that. And what was the process like of figuring out how you wanted to sort of run a rehearsal room? I know there's the sort of cliche of like a Jerome Robbins script. You know what? The thing is, I don't think I ever thought about it. I just did it. You know, I just, I, you know, I knew enough, I'd been in enough rehearsal rooms and I, and I knew how to work with people and, you know, like that. I was asking, what was it like to have this sort of change in relationship with people like Kristen Chenoweth, who you just performed with and now we're directing and Candide and, or choreographing? You know what, it was, it was pretty, um, it, it was pretty simple, you know, cause I think everyone trusted me anyway. And I was always kind of like vocal about things and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know what they should do here? And like, <laughs> probably tired of listening to me but um but no it was it was a pretty easy transition I think you know uh, I think that I'm I'm jumping a little bit but you know Drowsy Chaperone which was the first show that I directed as well as choreographed and um it was great because I just surrounded myself with all of my friends and 
that was the best part. I'd, I'd worked with almost everyone in the show before or knew of them. Uh, and I was like, if I'm going to direct, I want to be surrounded by people I feel supported by. And there for a lot of us, it was a it was sort of there were a lot of firsts. You know, Karen Moore was the first time she was the PSM of a Broadway show, and Phil Reno, the first time he was a musical director of a Broadway show. And it was the first time for the writers, it was the first time for me, you know, it was a big deal for Beth Level and Danny Burstein, you know, and and all of us, it just felt it felt great, you know, it felt really great. And what was the process like of finding? I know there are certain people on the design team and music team who you work with. A lot. Well, Greg Barnes, you know, did the clothes and won a Tony for that show. And he and I have known each other since I was 15 years old. Ah. Um, you know, we were in a show in San Diego together, uh, production uh, of The Robert Bridegroom. And I was 15. He was 18. It was um, Brian Stokes Mitchell was in it as well as a young fella. And, um, Greg was actually his understudy. Um, <laughs> way back when. <laughs> when Greg was actually a performer um so funny but uh yeah so um so and then who I didn't I didn't know uh Dave Gallo uh I didn't he was I mean it was really I think it was really Greg was the person I knew on the design team right right yeah and do you often like to have a sort of big input into the design or will you let someone like Greg Barnes or Scott Pask do a first draft and then um, no, you know what? We just talk about everything, you know, and I'm very vocal about stuff. And the thing that's great about both of them is they want to serve what the show is and they want to serve what they've seen me do or what I what I I say I think I'm going to be doing. And and that's great. And, you know, it didn't really happen with Drowsy or with Crazy For You or some of the some of the first shows. But once I started getting to other shows, they, you know, they did labs a lot more, you know, and the thing is about a lab, when you're doing something for four weeks and you're setting and I'm putting the whole show up, um, we learn lots about the set. So we can see how the set moves and we can have a process while the show is happening and then almost have the set designed by the end, you know, and then they can go start doing a model and that kind of thing. Right. And I think that's really smart because I think that you're not building something and going, oh, I didn't know it was going to feel like that because you've already sort of felt how everything's going to move ahead of time. And do you generally like, I'd be curious, the out-of-town tryout process? I know some like it hot didn't have one, but others have. Um, I do. I think it's gotten really expensive for producers to do it. Um, I can do it without. I always think it is helpful. You know, we were supposed to go to Chicago with some like it hot, but then the pandemic happened. Uh-huh. Um, Book of Mormon didn't have an out-of-town tryout. Something Rotten didn't have an out-of-town tryout. Um, but it is helpful. And some shows need it more than others. And I think that sometimes I can tell ahead of time, I'll be like, I don't know if we should go without, an out of, without a tryout. But some I think we can do. And is there a show that you felt sort of changed the most during that out-of-town process? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, Aladdin changed a lot. Oh. Uh. Uh, we it, the script was about thirty five percent different between Toronto and New York, um, okay. and also moves things around. And we had to cut like we had you know the Babcock, Omar, and Kasim characters narrated the entire show. They did the opening number. There was no genie in the opening number, um, but then it was tricky because then we had to uh, you know we used the three of them to change the sets. So then we had to move all of the palace scenes out of the big palace we had and in front of a drop which was probably not the choice we all would have made, but um, 
but that's what ended up having to happen. And so we could get the set changed. And what sort of necessitated that big change in the book? Was it sort of like a tonal shift or? Um, yeah, it was, it was making it funnier. Um, and it was also, yeah, just, just you're having the characters feel like they, they were a little bit more fleshed out, I guess. Um, that's what it sort of was, but it was a lot of it was more structural, st structural than that, you know, which was adding the genie at the beginning, changing because because uh, Babcock Omar Cassine just did so much narration, which was actually written for the film originally and was cut out of the film. Uh -huh. And then, oh, it'd be great on stage to put it back in, but it didn't work. So then, you know, Chad really worked hard to get more jokes and move things around and change stuff. And we worked really closely together on it. And so Spamalot was, as you mentioned, your Broadway choreographic debut. Right. But were there other sort of projects that were discussed before that or could have come to Broadway or? Um, well, not, re not really. I mean, the thing is I did, um, you know, I did the Radio City show and Candide and then I did Bye Bye Birdie and Encores. And that's when I got the call about Spamalot. Uh, and what was it like to, chore to um, collaborate with Mike Nichols on that? It was incredible. I mean, I couldn't have a better person to work with my first show. You know, he was super collaborative. You know, he was, he let me be the hands-on person on deck. And he, you know, I'd asked him all these questions. You want me to do it this way? You want that? Do you like this? Do you like that? And then he'd tell me the answers and we just keep doing it. But he was just great to work with. And he was, he remained until he passed away. He remained such a close friend and also like my theater father, you know, he came to see everything I did. He, you know, would have a few really good notes that he would give me, like, you know, usually like one or two that I went, ah, that's great. And uh, it was really fantastic. It was really fantastic. Oh, that is great. And how much sort of musical expertise did he have, given that that wasn't really his? Well, you know, he did, you know, he um, was a producer on Annie and he also, you know, did the apple tree. So, and he's... Oh seen so many so he had such big knowledge about it you know and and the thing is you're still telling a story whether it's a musical or a play and the thing is he just he's such a good editor to be able to watch things and know what it needs or what it's missing and what was the sort of research if you will process like for you on that show did you watch all the movies or had you already Oh, the Monty Python stuff? Oh, right, right. oh yeah I'd seen everything and also <laughs> Holy Grail was like one of my favorite movies growing up so when I heard that that was it, I I was like, holy crap, I'm so excited. I was so excited to do it. And I worked so closely with Eric Idle as well, who's still a friend now. You know, he's just incredible and just will change anything, you know? Yeah. And I know that show is being revived right now or just was at the Kennedy Center. Uh -huh. What would be your sort of advice to people doing it? Oh, you know what? Just don't get in the way of the comedy. Right. You know, just say the lines. They're so funny. <laughs> and how involved were you in the casting process for that show? Was I was there for every audition. Oh. Yeah, even with Mike. The Mike and I were both there. And how do you decide sort of how to run those auditions in terms of what material to teach? And um, you know, you just you just look for the scenes that are going to show people off the best. And, you know, even if you give them a terrible scene, you're still going to be able to see what they can do and what they bring to something. It's really about seeing people and learning who they are more than how they're going to nail something in the room. Right. 
And has there been an example of someone who sort of did something totally different from what you were looking for, but you ended up right, right? You know, I guess that I guess a lot of times you don't really know what you're looking for. But that's, I mean, for instance, when when Jay came in for Some Like It Hot, just right away, I, I thought that is the person who should play this part. And then we were able to, you know, just build it all around him, which was fantastic, you know? And the two of them and their chem, he and Christian's chem chemistry were so good together. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned that you did Bye Bye Birdie at Encores and later Follies and Anyone Can Whistle. And uh -huh. what did you like about that sort of process? And oh, I loved it. It, re it reminded me of it, working at Encores reminds me of the olden days of summer stock where you have to do a show in a week and everyone's running around and people are, you know, dancing in the hallways and trying to pick up dance steps. And and everyone does it for the love of theater. I think more than anything else, and for sort of for the 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 fun of that. I mean, I haven't done one in a long time, um, not since Most Happy Fellow, which now was like nine years ago. Gosh, I can't believe it's that long ago, but it was. Um, I love doing them. I absolutely love doing them. Yeah. And as a director, too, what is the challenge of having that huge stage bigger than most Broadway? Well, it's it's you, you think it's huge, but not for the show. <laughs> you, know I mean? you know, we have 13 feet of depth if you're choreographing something, you know, so it's really it's really shallow. Um, no, you know, it's a it's sort of a backwards way of working at Encores, you know, because when you're doing a Broadway show, it's all about taking the time and then getting it up on stage. And Encores, you just got to get it up on stage. And then if you can, you know, it's in, and you have to worry about all the blocking first instead of instead of the, um, you know, I have to have everything completely mapped out instead of finding it and then mapping it out, you know? So it's it's a backwards way of doing it, but it's kind of fun to use my brain in that way. I mean, everything is diagrammed out before I get there, um, which is not what I do on a, on a real show. <laughs> and is there another sort of rare undiscovered show that you would want to do there or... You know, I kind of did. I mean, uh, Most Happy Fellow is the one I really wanted to do. And, you know, Follies, I didn't know very well, but loved it. And then um, I got a call from them and saying, we want you to do Anyone Can Whistle. And uh, I said yes before I'd read it. And then after I read it, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, and then I just, that was such a fun one to do. It was so much, so much fun. I absolutely loved it. Oh, Yeah. And generally, when you're doing a revival, how much do you look at the original production? Um, you know what? It depends. It depends. Like, you know, um, Dreamgirls was always my favorite show when I first moved to the city. Uh, I saw it so many times in 1982, and I just thought the staging was brilliant, even though I didn't know I wanted to be a director yet. Um, so when I was hired to do Dreamgirls in London, um. I was like, I don't want to, because I, I, I was tempted to go to Lincoln Center and look at the original company. Um, and then I was like, don't do it because I, I didn't want to be, you know, because I, I had such memories of it. And then everyone kept talking about, you know, all those, those you know, those uh, columns that move around and do so much stuff. And then I, I was like, you know what, I got to just see how they handled the on and off stage stuff. So I did go back. And then I was, it was, I'm so glad I did because it was fascinating because what I learned is, you know, act one moves like a bullet train and, and also 
most of the changes that everyone remembers in their head was really done by dance and not the columns moving very much. <laughs> um, but it was still for its time, you know, we, we've seen, you know, shows do a lot more now. But what I did learn is that act two was really flawed. Um, and, uh, you know, still fantastic. It's still my favorite show ever, flawed or not flawed. But I was able to, with Henry Krieger, change some stuff in act two for our production in London. And I feel like it was so successful. And uh, had I not seen that, I think I would have, I would have been in for a little bit of a surprise. And it's really that was a tone. It's a tonal difference because Act One is so active and so busy and so character driven. And Act Two, it just felt like people were singing about their feelings a lot, and it didn't have the same kind of movement. So we added some things that made it and cut some things to make it feel like the Act Two moved like Act One. Right. And to go back to um, Drowsy Chaperone, how did you first get involved? I know it was originally like a wedding. Oh, well, so, yeah, so, so they, when they did it, uh, it was a, it was like a wedding gift to Bob and his wife, Janet Vandegraaff. And, um, and so they put on a show to make money for it. It was just a tiny little show. It was 40 minutes. Um, there was no man and chair in it. Uh, and then they ended up doing it later. Uh, for the French Festival uh, in Toronto. And then they added Man and Chair and they ended up doing it. And it was like a little cult, had a little cult following. And then they did a 45-minute version at NAMPT uh, here in New York and people loved it. And then Kevin McCullum decided to do it. And so he he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, I would love to. So I met with the writers the morning after Spamalot opened. And then they basically offered me the job that day. Wow. Yeah, and, it was really cool. Right. And what was it like to work with these writers who were making their Broadway debuts? I know you've done that a few times with Something Rotten. And... Um, yeah, no, it was great. They were so much fun to work with. And we had such, we laughed so much. And we were all, I think all of us, except for maybe one, were the same age. So that was kind of fun, too, that we were all born in the same year. Um, but we just got along great. And it was really, it was fun. And we all had the same kind of sense of humor, which is, you know, funny a little uh, a little dark um but just i just loved working with them we laughed a lot and it was just exciting for all of us and did you or did they have specific sort of influences for the choreography or for the archetypes of the characters no i mean the archetypes of the characters yes that was all them to start with because they had all the material written and it was so clear and then they changed it a lot as they as they went and then the choreography was me just coming up with stuff. You know, there we we cut about five songs that they used and and added like the opening number was all brand new um, from what it was originally, and a few of them. Toledo Surprise was added. Stumble Along was added. Uh, they weren't in it uh, at the beginning, right? And a few of these shows, including that one, I believe you did for the road and for London, and were were changes made to the choreography or to the yeah they were a lot um you know just depending on it just depends on the people you want to change it around the people i mean the tour didn't change as much london changed quite a bit um and uh just around the people that we had and the sense of some of the sensibilities there and the the roller skate number the guy that played uh robert uh as well as uh summer who played janet he had been in Starlight Express, so we didn't have to worry about the skating <laughs> being an issue. So we choreographed that a lot more, had a lot more skating in it. Wow. 
And do you find, or how would you sort of define the difference in sensibility between London audiences and? Um, you know, I I think it might have been more about the audiences. You know, I mean, it, it was funny because the show didn't run very long there, and I thought it was gonna, I thought it would be a big hit there, um, because it seemed very musical kind of feel to it. But it didn't. It it, it was well received, but people just didn't come. Right. And do you have favorite uh, venues, be it on Broadway or around the country or around the world, to work at? Well, well, I mean, I love the Schubert where I am right now, and it's only because it means so much to me. Because I did Crazy for You was my first Broadway show there, uh, and then Spamalot was my first, you know, job wow. as a choreographer. And then this show just feels like such a special show, and we're able to be in there. So that's that is a great one. I also love the Marquee, um, you know, where I was in Victor Victoria. And we did Drowsy Chaperone there as well. And I did Millie there too. So that that one also has, it's always a really happy company because there's so much space backstage, which is great. And in the dressing rooms. Right. And a show you did um, out of town that didn't come in was Minsky's. Uh-huh. What do you think sort of was the reason that that didn't end up making it to Broadway? Well, it didn't get good reviews there, but we loved do it. We loved doing it. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I just and then we tried, we tried different. Um, we did different readings and stuff afterward, and it just didn't pick up traction. But I loved it, and there was it was so much fun to do, and there's some really great numbers in it, and a really good cast. Um, so yeah, it was a that was a disappointment, but it was a really fun show to work on. Right. And so I'm curious to know, actually, early on, before you were both directing and choreographing, what would make sort of an ideal director to collaborate with as a? Um, you know, I think someone on this, someone who understands movement, I guess. Um, but I guess if they really understood movement, they would be choreographing themselves, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but no, I think just it's always just someone who's on the same page as you. And especially because I do comedy, someone who's funny. And what is the difference too, or do you find that there is a difference when doing a um a kids show like Aladdin or a teen show like Mean Girls versus an adult show like Spam? Well, I think that I look at all of those shows as being adult shows, as opposed to look. I never thought of Aladdin as a kids show, and I think that's what made it successful. And in, in fact, in the first um in the first year, kids were barely there. Uh-huh. Um, it really felt like because of the nostalgia and because it came out in like 1992 or 93, um, that people are like in their 30s were coming to see it and going like, oh my gosh, you know, and it was more of a date night show than it was a kid's show. And now there's a lot more kids coming, but for, it was the first year, really, we had a lot more adults. Right, right. And did you find it to be a unique experience because of having the sort of Disney corporation behind it and... Um, no, because Anne, Anne Court and Tom Schumacher are both so fantastic to work with. And it, it felt like, I, I I never felt like, oh, I'm working for a corporation, even though there are those elements. I really love working with Disney. It's It's been a terrific experience. And, you know, we're getting ready to do the 11th production of Aladdin 
this coming year. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been really good for all of us. And, and I love where it really feels like a family. We recently had, unfortunately, the passing of Dame Edna. And you, of course, worked with her on right. About Me on Broadway. And what was that collaboration? It was so much fun. It was so much fun. He had me laughing every single day. It was it was so much fun. He and Michael Feinstein were had such a good, were so good together and had such a, it was really great. It was really, it, we had a really fun time. I was sorry that it, again, it just didn't have the traction that we thought it would, um, but it was really a really extremely pleasant experience. Yeah. And with that one too, because he had such an established personality, did you find that you sort of went back and looked at other things of his? Well, I'd seen all of his shows already. Uh, so I just, and I just knew, I mean, he makes me laugh so hard. Even now after he passed away, I'll go down a rabbit hole and watch old clips and it just makes me giggle and giggle. That is great. And, and of all of these shows that you did on, on Broadway or off, have any of them been your idea originally in terms of we should adapt this or something? Um, no, you know, most of them came to me, you know, I mean, the, I mean, the prom, the prom was the one that was complete. It, I mean, Drowsy Chaperone was completely original, but they brought it to me. But um, I like doing original musicals. And I think most of them I have. I haven't really done a, on Broadway, done a revival yet. Um, but the prom is a really special one because we just sat there and were like, what should we make this about? You know, what what should the characters be? Uh, and I love doing that with those guys, with Matt, Chad, and Bob. Um and I would do that again in a heartbeat, you know, and we're still, we're actually working on another one coming up that's a, completely from scratch that we started working on during the pandemic. So we had something to sort of focus on. Um, and it's just really fun to do it that way. Oh, wow. It's a lot harder and a lot easier at the same time. <laughs> yes. And with the prom, I'd be curious to know, what was the choreographic sort of difference like between choreographing for the teens in the show and the older Broadway stars? Uh, well, one was one 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 had to be a little more contemporary, and one had to be more musical theater. And it was really about those two worlds and meshing them together. And do you like the sort of contemporary, like hip hop style and things like that? Or? Well, it's I like I appreciate it, like watching it. I don't love doing it because it's not really where I live, um, you know. But I I can sort of I sort of. Uh, I sort of equate it with tap in a way because of the percussiveness. So I sort of think of like tap type rhythms and then try to do that on stage with arms and feet, uh, but no tap. <laughs> and with younger performers versus veteran performers who you've worked with both, do you uh, find that there's a difference between sort of the way they are in the rehearsal room or? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Cause it's a different world now. You know, most of the, most of the older folks, uh, grew up like I did. And you know, there was no social media then. There was no one taking pictures of anything. There was no one looking at a phone. Everyone was just there paying attention to what they were doing. And that's like, it's all you can do to get people to pay attention sometimes. And that's not all the time, but it's just the world's different in that way. And it's just what it is. And a show you did that I love and think should have had a much longer run is Tuck Everlasting. And, oh, thank you. Yeah, and how did that show first sort of come about? Um, they they brought me they brought me the book and they said we want this to be your next musical. <laughs> and then they told me that you know that Nathan and Chris were working on it and Claudia was working on it and I was really excited. You know, again, it just didn't get the traction. 
you know, and and um, it was sort of surprising because so many kids grew up with that book and loved that book. And I I loved doing the show. I mean, it really it really was uh, a very emotional one. And how did you conceive of that sort of time ballet? And was that written into the script or was um, that? No, we decided, to, I, I was like, oh my God, you guys, because we were trying to figure out how to do it. And I, I said, I would love to do something like this. I've always wanted to. And when I, when I did the, when I told you I did those three numbers uh, as a presentation, one of those was a woman at a grave and sort of going through uh three stages of her life with her boy growing up. And it was sort of the same sort of idea. And then I thought, oh my gosh, this is what could work. And then it was, we just decided to do it. And I loved it. I love that dance number so much. I'm, it's one of the things I'm most proud of that I've ever done. Oh yeah, it is great. And what was the process there too, sort of reconciling the darkness of the story with the more sort of cheerful elements? And um. It's tough because, you know, it's it's got, we were all really drawn to the emotionality of it and also just the emotion in the songs. I mean, those guys, I love their music so much. And, you know, it makes you want to go there. And I think, you know, maybe too much. It's hard to, it's hard to be, jo it was hard to be jovial without it feeling a little, uh, I don't know, trite, but if that's the word or not, but it's, I don't know. I, I just loved the show. Yeah. And I do think that's maybe the only one that you've done with a kid in the lead. And what uh -huh. would like to work with Sarah Charles Lewis? And oh, well, she was incredible. Even though she was a kid, she didn't seem like a kid. Oh. Uh, she was great. I loved working with her. Yes. And then how did um, Mean Girls come about a similar? Uh, mean, mean Girls came from, you know, from Tina and Jeff and Lauren Michaels. And they, they I met with them and then it happened basically. <laughs> and what was it like to work with Tina Fey, who's such a great... Oh, it was great. So funny, so smart. Uh, the whole team, we had a really great time working on it. And what were the conversations like with such an iconic movie of how much to sort of keep and how to make it? Um, You know what? It was, it was more about just telling the story and making sure it worked on stage as opposed to taking the movie and just like plopping it on stage. <laughs> so there were a lot of changes and she wasn't you know, she was not uh, precious about anything, which was terrific. Right. And what do you think made that show so successful? It was a big, big hit. Um, well, I think, the, I think the name of the show, and I think people, you know, I think everyone loves Mean Girls, including myself. Um, but I think people just really liked it. Right. And, you know, it just, it just finished on tour and it was so successful on tour. And when you have a show like Mean Girls or Aladdin or Book of Mormon that runs for a long time, how often do you revisit it? Just sort of... um, It depends, you know? I mean, usually a lot more like the first couple of years. Uh, and then my associates take care of it, so I know I'm in good hands. Right. And do you like to work directly with replacements as they come in? Oh. I do, for the most part. Pretty much, whenever like a a major a major principal is is there, I'm I'm I come and visit, and I come and work with them or have a one on one session with them. And and I'm at the auditions, and I okay all the all the cast members. Right, right. And what is the sort of process of incorporating someone like that into the show while sort of giving them their own freedom? And 
Um, you know, I mean, the most important thing is just telling the story. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, they'll, they'll, there will be stuff that suits their personality that they can make it their own. But I think it really has to, it, it is a tricky thing for people if they're not used to replacing, you know, um, because you do sort of have to make sure you're, you're, you're not, I don't want to say like fitting in, but kind of, yeah, you know, fitting in so that the movement of the show keeps moving in the same way. And as originally, because, you know, you, you work so hard in the first few months of rehearsals and stuff to get something just right. So it, you, it can't get derailed in that way. Right. And we talked a little bit about the prom earlier. And what was the process like of doing the prom on screen, choreographing with Meryl Streep? Oh, oh wow. It, oh, well, it was, it was incredible. I mean, the rehearsal process was so much fun to be in a room with, with, with Meryl and with Nicole Kidman and with Andrew Rattles, who I worked with on, on Book of Mormon, and James Corden. I mean, it was really, it was super fun. And, and it was really fun to be able to realize everything in a, in a real situation like in you know in new york you're doing a number at the rainbow room and you've got you know two tables there and uh, in the film we got to have a giant sardis with lots of tables and lots of people and lots of, and that to me was the funnest part or doing love thy neighbor in a real mall you know that was great and how much was changed with this sort of like steps themselves i know i mean maybe meryl streep is not um, you know what a lot of, I mean, I had to think of them in a more cinematic way, but a lot of the actual steps did stay the same. I mean, when I first met with Ryan, he said, just do everything that you did on Broadway and I'll figure out how to film it. And so we kind of did that, but not really. I mean, we would go look at the space. So once you see what the space is, then I go like, oh, well, this needs to be this way. And we want a camera to move that way with her or, you know, whatever, to use the set that you have. And I think you did some choreography on screen too for Trolls and... Oh, for Trolls, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just did a bunch of stuff in the studio and we and we filmed it so they'd have things to look at with the, with the Trolls. Uh, I don't know if very much made it in, but it went <laughs> enough, you know? <laughs> right. And have you sort of tried to pursue screen work more or would you want to? Or... Oh, I love doing it. I love doing it, but I really would like to direct a movie at this point rather than just choreograph. And so what were you working on right when the pandemic hit or what was? Um, well, I was on I was on the set for for the prom when it hit. We had three days left and we had to shut down. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and working on something like it hot. I had just finished. We had just finished doing a lab before everything shut down. So we had finished it at the end of January. Um, and then we were, we were gearing up for a year later to go to Chicago, and then it didn't happen. Right. And what was the pandemic like for you, both sort of personally and professionally? And... Um, I was in Los Angeles because we have a house in L.A. And um, I mean, it was really enjoyable, the, you know, except for all the fear and everything else. <laughs> but, um, you know, but it was enjoyable to just have time. Um and also, you know, I did a lot of work on shows like this, you know, on Zoom, um, on new stuff and trying to develop new stuff. So we'll see what happens. Right. And were there changes made to Some Like It Hot during the pandemic? And um, Yo, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Over the pandemic and then afterward, you know, we changed it a lot. 
right, right. And I actually got to be at the workshop when you did the open. Oh, you're kidding! Awesome. Too, right, which was uh -huh. very exciting. Yeah. And what was that process like of sort of taking into account the audience feedback and having the? Um, no, I thought it was super helpful. You know, I thought it was really helpful. And, uh, you know, we saw what worked and what didn't. And we changed a bunch of stuff, as as you probably know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And what has it been like just to open some Like It Hot and be part of such a... Oh, great. I just love the show. It just makes me really happy. I love also just seeing where it started and seeing it where, it, where it ended up and seeing the characters because, you know, we did two labs of it. We did a lab before the pandemic. We did the lab that you saw uh, afterward. And um, then we had rehearsals for Broadway. So we were in rehearsals a lot for that show over the period of however many years. And um, I'm just happy with where it ended up. Right. And I'd be curious to know, too, have there been projects that you've sort of started working on throughout your career that haven't ended up happening? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's like Minsky's and uh, Robin and the Seven Hoods. Those are the ones the most that, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I was working on the Animal House at one point. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch that I feel like I was working on that didn't happen, but I can't even think of them off the top of my head now. <laughs> right. And so you've been nominated for many Tonys, including this year for some Like It Hot. And what, right. what is that sort of like as an experience? That's oh, it's great. I mean, it it gets really busy with lots of functions and stuff, but it's fun. I mean, I can't complain about it at all. Right. right. And so I'd love to just close by asking you, with such a wonderful career, what advice would you give to someone just starting it right? Well, I would just say, you know, just meet as many people as you can and and just really work hard work hard at, at what you want to do and take any opportunities you can or make the opportunities happen yourself you know that was that was something i i couldn't believe i sort of you know had the chutzpah to do that and i did it and it worked out right right that is great advice well thank you so much for doing this it's oh my gosh my pleasure you're so sweet and like i, I so appreciate how informed you are and everything that you you brought and you knew so much and that's really a, a joy for me so i appreciate it thank you thank you listeners thank you for tuning in and remember to come back next time when i will be joined by tony winning lyricist lynn aarons who with her writing partner stephen flaherty penned the broadway shows ragtime once on this island my favorite year anastasia rocky and susicle as well as the off-broadway productions of a man of no importance dessa rose and the glorious ones you won't want to miss that interview so make sure to tune back in for that and thanks for listening